As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. everyone and welcome into another episode of the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast. We are motoring through our Beat Writer Roundtable series. On this episode, we turn our attention to the AFC South. And as we've been doing, we've been starting with the defending champions from every division. So in the AFC South, that has us first with the Tennessee Titans and Joe Rexroad. Joe, what's going on today? Not much. I'm uh, looking forward to uh, seeing what this team actually looks like all together. On paper, it's a, it's a very fun team. Yes, it is. A fun real-life team. I think they've got legitimate Super Bowl aspirations. A fun fantasy team, that is for sure. But there are two big changes going on with this team. Two big uh, real-life changes. They are very fantasy-relevant. The first one is that Arthur Smith, the uh, the author of this offense, the designer of this offense, he's gone off to Atlanta to be the head coach for the Falcons. Todd Downing stepping in as the offensive coordinator. Should we expect any substantive changes from what Arthur Smith did in Tennessee to what Todd Downing is going to do? Well, I don't think by design. You know, I mean, I, I don't think intentional changes. I think... Uh... You know, they're going to look a lot the same on offense. The question is to me, you know, can Todd Downing duplicate or or come close to that uh, in terms of what Arthur Smith did uh, as a play caller? You know, Todd Downing had one season as an OC. It did not go well. I think he took a lot of the blame for the 2017 Oakland Raiders very disappointing season. Um, And now, of course, he's kind of you know, Minnesota, now Tennessee, tight ends coach, same path that Arthur Smith had being elevated from tight ends coach to OC. But Arthur Smith was masterful at, you know, calling plays, setting up plays, sequencing, just, he just had a great feel for the job, which of course no one had any idea about when he got the job, when Matt LaFleur surprisingly got the Green Bay Packers head coaching job. Um, I think Todd Downing is, there may be as much pressure on him as anyone, because it's such a high standard to try to meet. And, of course, we all look at the talent and say, you can't screw this up. Um, so I think it'll look similar, but it'll be interesting to see, you know, if he's grown since Oakland. And, again, I don't know. I mean, there are a lot of factors that there were injuries at receiver. I mean, there's there's always more than one. It's never as simple as people want it to be. 
But um, a lot of people who closely watched that team were not impressed with him that year. All right, the other big change, of course, is someone who uh, Todd Downing is going to get to use however he sees fit, and that is Julio Jones. Uh, what a great big trade for this team, clearly striking when they believe the championship window is open. Now you've got Julio Jones paired with A.J. Brown. I'll say this, Joe, in the fantasy football world before this trade happened, we were really excited about A.J. Brown because he was going to be uh, the guy very, very clearly in Tennessee. You saw him roundly uh, ranked as a top three, top five fantasy wide receiver. Not so much the case with Julio. It's not like he's fallen off the face of the earth. He's still viewed as a top 10 receiver, but you don't go out and trade for Julio Jones and not plan to make him a focal point of the offense. What are you thinking the breakdown between Julio and A.J. is going to look like? Yeah, it's a great question, Michael. I mean, look, the the – the coach speak, player speak. Answer is, we're we're gonna we're gonna throw to the open guy. We're gonna take what the defense gives us. Um, I do think that Ryan Tannehill, in, in a year and a half or so as the quarterback of this team, has been really effective at spreading the ball around. He really hasn't done a lot of forcing the ball to anyone in particular. And of course, as you said, I'm mean, AJ Brown is a rising star. I mean, I think last year in some situations it was like, you know what, put it up and let AJ make a play regardless of coverage. That actually led to the win at Houston to win the division at the end of the year. But for the most part, he's uh get the ball out quick, play point guard, distribute. And some weeks Corey Davis went 11 for 130. And the next week Corey Davis went two for 17. And, you know, I mean, I, I think when it's, all said and done, I would think it would be close between those two. You know, I think it's. I think some weeks it's like, okay, when you play a team that has one great corner, uh, does that corner match up better with AJ Brown or Julio Jones? If you're gonna, you know, if you're gonna travel with someone, I mean, I think some of that will be dictated by the opponent. But I think you're. I mean, I would agree with you that you know AJ Brown was about to just have to get the ball all the time and certainly he was also going to see more double teams but now um it's it's a pick your poison thing for the defense that it's harder to project um exactly where he'll end up now yeah you're still looking at a couple of really really fun valuable fantasy wide receivers in Tennessee even if uh, both of them maybe have a lower target share than they're used to having uh let's uh, move on to the other complicating factor for these wide receivers it's that pretty good running back that this team has in the backfield. Derrick Henry just turning into a superstar over the last few seasons. And uh, he's done it uh, on the back of some huge workloads. Uh, obviously, that is a bit of a concern, but Derrick Henry is built to handle it. Are we looking at another, I don't know, 320, 330 carry season for the guy? Yeah, see, I, I I think it will be closer to that, you know, closer to that than 400. I mean, I think the Titans, maybe more in the interest of a fresh Derrick Henry in January than thinking, hey, let's let's get like full Derrick Henry for the duration of his contract. I, I think it makes sense to um, to try to scale him back a little bit. Uh, you know, also Darrington Evans was drafted in the third round last year. Didn't really get to have a rookie year. A hamstring kept him out most of the year. When he did get out there, he looked explosive. I really think uh, they want to weave him into this offense, and if he can be more than just a third down back, you know, then you can give Derrick Henry a series here and there, whether he likes it or not. And he usually doesn't like it, you know. But um, I think it just makes sense to have the best possible version of him in January. 
And I've heard some people say with, with these two receivers now, I mean, Derrick Henry, he might rush for like 2,200 yards in a 17-game season on 300 carry or whatever the case would be. Um, I, I don't think so. I, I think another thing about this is if you have fewer stacked boxes, you know, when you when, when Derrick Henry has had some of his biggest runs, of course, they have come against stacked boxes because obviously you get past that first level and you've got one less guy out there who can track you down. I mean, I think if if the Titans are forcing defenses to play them a little bit more honestly, that might actually cut down on his big runs. Um, but I also think that he could be overall more effective and dangerous. And just, you know, the, the, the ideal picture is of this balanced offense where it's just, you know, you just really struggle to pinpoint what you should be focusing on and taking away. And whatever you do take away, the other aspect will kill you. And in the end, I think that if it goes that way, you're going to talk about pretty balanced numbers. And I would say reduced numbers for Derrick Henry, you know, certainly from last year, even from the last couple of years. Ryan Tannehill has just been the picture of efficiency since taking over as the starter in Tennessee in a year and a half as the starter for the Titans. You're looking at better than 6,500 yards, uh, completing more than two-thirds of his passes, 55 touchdowns against 13 interceptions, 8.6 yards per attempt. I mean, this guy has just hit every single note and really been uh, the perfect quarterback uh, for the team and for the scheme as designed. He's also one of those quarterbacks that in the fantasy world we basically know exactly what we're going to get out of him so the question for you is is there anything new that might be bubbling anything new Todd Downing might bring out of him anything new that adding Julio might bring out of this offense something new a wrinkle for Ryan Tannehill in the passing game this year you know that's a good question I mean I mean look I think that it's possible that they let him rip a little bit more you know I mean I think that it's been very clearly like establish the run lean on the run you know, throw out of a lot of play action that's worked extremely well for them. But they're still always gonna, they're still going to do that a lot. They're going to run outside zone. They're going to run the, the very nice play action stuff off the outside zone. That's very it gives you a little little bit extra time um, of freezing the defenders. Um, you know, and th- with that run scheme and the play action game, he's been very good at it. But maybe you know, maybe they they let him cut loose a little bit more with, with those with those two, with both those receivers out there. Another thing about Tannehill is he's I had really no idea, but he's a heck of an athlete. You know, when he does take off, um, and if, if anybody saw the Green Bay game, which was a, an abysmal offensive performance for the Titans, but, you know, the one highlight was him going about 50 yards for a touchdown. Um, but I just don't see them wanting to do a lot of highlighting of that because, of course, they need him healthy and they don't really have a backup uh, with any sort of seasoning. So I don't think it'll be a lot different, but. I think they can feel more comfortable maybe about um, having different kinds of game plans and maybe a little bit more just straight-up drop-back game and let him you know throw it around a little bit more. Um, and maybe there's just some different stuff you do with Julio too. I mean, I think from, you know, from what we've seen of him, you can do anything with him. Uh, <laughs> right. you know, but, I mean, if, he's, if he is truly you know healthy and he passed the hamstring, which all indications are – he is, and he looked great out there. I mean, he went out there for you know for minicamp. Um, it's just, it's just in a really enticing situation for any quarterback. And like you said, Michael Tannehill. I mean, the numbers. I, I still don't think Tannehill gets the respect and recognition he should around the league. And I, I think even if he has a huge year this year, it, it's still probably going to be a lot of well, 
yeah, but you had Henry and Julio and A.J. Brown, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. he has been tr- truly, truly tremendous uh, since taking over the starting job. Yeah, he really has, and I think he's going to make good use of those guys, and those guys make a lot of use of the offense. You've got arguably the highest volume back in the league in uh, Derrick Henry. You've got two receivers in Julio and A.J. Brown that are alphas that are going to command a huge target share. Is there going to be anything meaningful to go around for Josh Reynolds or Anthony Ferkser? I'll I tell you what, I, I, I do. I think, again, the way Tannehill plays, I just I think Josh Reynolds is going to is going to have some beautiful situations, you know? Uh, and of course he was in here with the idea of being the two and yeah. I, I'm a fan of Josh Reynolds, you know, I, I, and I think he's, you know, he was a little bit banged up during the spring, but I, I think he'll have some big games and some big moments. Is he going to be a consistent producer? You know, I don't know about that. And then Ferkser, you talk about trust with Tannehill. I mean, going back to when Marcus Mariota was a starter and those two guys were, you know, on the, on the I guess, scout team, basically, you're running with the twos, when the twos got reps. I mean, those guys have a great chemistry. It goes back to some playoff big uh, connections between those two guys. And, you know, I've, I've thought all along, okay, who's the next tenant? Who are they bringing in? Who are they drafting? Who are they signing? But they haven't, they haven't had anyone at this point. If if the tight end depth chart does not look different um, when the season starts, I think a flyer on Anthony Ferkser might not be a bad idea. He's going to get some red zone opportunities in particular, and he's very good, and he's he's really like another slot receiver, you know, on those third mediums. All right, Joe, let's wrap it up with this. Our partners over at BetMGM have the Titans installed with a win total over-under of nine. Now, that sounds low, but the over is a significant favorite, minus 140, under-sitting at plus 115. For our purposes here, you know, we're not really talking about the betting odds necessarily. Uh, We're just interested in how good of a team is this going to be. Let's just bump it up to nine and a half and make it a little bit more interesting. Do they go over that nine and a half, get to 10 and seven, or would they uh, come in under and what would be a a really disappointing season? Should they go under that number? Yeah, I would, I would pick over on that. Um, uh, Like you said, Michael, it would be a massive disappointment um, just because the offense should be – there's really no excuse for the offense to not be great. Let, let's not forget. Now, Johnny Smith is a big loss w- without question, but mm-hmm. you know, m- midway through last season they lost Taylor Lewan, and they had to do a lot of different things to compensate for that. He's back. Uh, you know, Of course, star left tackle um, early on when he was in there, you know, everything was clicking for this offense. And it really – it's actually amazing that the numbers kind of maintain the way they did because they really, I mean, they had to max protect a lot. They had to keep John U. Smith in a lot. You put him in there, and if they are fine at right tackle, Dylan Ray Duns, uh, the rookie second-round pick, coming in, Kendall Lamb coming in. I think their offensive line, the interior, is really good. I think it's all there for them. Uh, but I also don't, I mean, I don't know about the defense. So many questions about the defense. But I think if the defense is slightly subpar this is still a 10 11 win team really i mean um if it can get to okay or decent or my good i mean i i I hesitate to even utter pretty good um then i think this is a contender 
Yeah, definitely uh, that's the weak link and what's going to be another really strong offensive season for the Titans. Definitely true in the real world. And with all that talent we talked about, uh, going to be one of the team, one of the few teams I'm going to say that's going to have uh, someone who looks like a QB1, a top five running back, and two top 15 wide receivers. The Titans definitely bring that possibility to the table. That's Joe Rex Road. Check him out all season long on the Titans. Joe, thanks for being with us on the Fantasy Football Podcast. Okay, thanks for having me, Michael. Really appreciate it. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. We continue our march through the AFC South Beat Writer Roundtable here on the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast. Next up, the Indianapolis Colts, and Zach Kiefer covers the Indianapolis Colts as well as anyone out there. Zach, thanks for being with us on the Fantasy Football Podcast. Thanks for having me. Uh, let's get into it with this team. Obviously, a big change at the top, a quarterback change, again, for the second straight season. And this one comes with some history attached. Carson Wentz now in Indy. Fourth and Frank- straight season, there's a different quarterback. Fourth <laughs> straight season. It is unbelievable. Unbelievable that this team has been, and still like playing pretty well overall, especially yeah. last year with Phillip Rivers. Now you've got Carson Wentz. He and Frank Reich, these guys know each other very well. What's the Colts' plan? What's Frank Reich's plan for getting Carson Wentz back to the guy he looked like those first few years in Philly? Yeah, so the secret is going to be this. He doesn't have to do it himself. He's not going to have to do what he did in Philadelphia for a lot of those years. And for a couple of years, he was able to do, basically carry the team. If you go back to 2019, the Eagles were not very good. They had nobody around him at receiver. Still won out in December and got in the playoffs. He was terrible last year. Everybody knows that. Everybody who watched the Eagles play knows that Wentz struggled. Now, there was a lot on his shoulders, but there was a lot of blame to go on the offensive line and the, and the pieces around him and Doug Peterson as well. This is not a show about the Philadelphia Eagles. People want to know about how he's going to play with the Indianapolis Colts. I expect him to be a lot better. There's a couple reasons why. Frank's going to tailor the offense to Carson Wentz's strengths. It's going to be a lot easier to do that with guys like Ryan Kelly and Quentin Nelson blocking for him. And eventually Eric Fisher on the end. Remember the Colts? Lost their offensive tackle of 10 years, Anthony Costanzo. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. Costanzo was very quietly one of the better left tackles in football. Um, Braden Smith's going to get an extension soon at, at the right tackle spot. So Carson's going from a spot where he was playing behind a injury-plagued offensive line to one of the best in football. He's going to have a stud at running back in Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan Taylor will be the starter. The running game will run through him. He's going to be that offensive engine in the run game. We know Frank Reich loves the run game. Don't forget they've got Marlon Mack back as well. That was a quiet re-signing they made. Now, Marlon Mack missed last year with the Achilles. He's back. He's 100%. This is a guy that can take him to the house. He can break six-yard runs and turn them into 76-yard runs. They've got Naheem Hines as well. So there's a lot of pieces around Carson Wentz 
that will make life easier for him. And this is the most important thing I learned from Frank Reich in the offseason in the spring was Carson's not going to have to do it himself. Frank keeps reminding him that it's okay to just follow your progressions and hit the open guy. You're going to have time to throw. I'm going to design the offense so you don't have to be an MVP. I think that's going to make Carson not get back to MVP form because I don't see that happening. But I see him climbing into that 10, 12, top 13 quarterback area, which is a lot better than where he was last year in Philly. Yeah, I think there's reasons to be optimistic about him, really all the ones you pointed out. Better weapons around him than he had in Philly last year and a much better offensive line. Even if that Philly offensive line was healthy last year, this would be an upgrade, and that was just a team that was totally ravaged and on third stringers across the board by the end of the season. You mentioned Jonathan Taylor. That's the biggest name on this team in the fantasy football world. A consensus first-round pick going somewhere in the mid to late first round. No matter what sort of fantasy league you're in, no matter what your draft is, you're going to hear Jonathan Taylor's name in the first round. It was a little bit of slow going to get started last year, but then the guy just took off, finishing the year with 1,169 yards and 11 touchdowns on the ground on 232 carries, 36 catches on 39 targets for 299 yards, and that's really where I want to focus because we know, you just said it, he's going to be the engine of the run game. We would love to see him get a little bit more involved in the pass game, but Naeem Hines is still here. Naeem Hines is very good at what he does. Can Jonathan Taylor get more than the 39 targets he saw in 15 games a season ago? Yeah, he can, absolutely. But that's the hesitancy I have with the Colts from a fantasy perspective. Frank Reich loves to share the football, period. That's not going to change. And that's not great news for fantasy owners who want to go after the Colts. Now, I would wholeheartedly go after Jonathan Taylor. If you go back to last season, you know, everyone thought it was a slow start. I thought he was playing pretty well. He had a fumble against the Ravens that kind of got to him. They kind of benched him for a minute. And then his last six games, he had 741 yards, the most in football over that span behind one guy. Everybody knows who that was, Derrick Henry. That was how good Jonathan Taylor was, and he was really good in the playoff loss in Buffalo as well. And for any confusion out there, you know, is it Marlon Mack or is it Jonathan Taylor? Taylor's a starter. Frank Reich said as much this offseason. He earned that. Those are Frank Reich's words. But in terms of catching passes, it's going to be hard because they like their receiving court. Maybe not a lot of people out there don't like it. The Colts like it. They like Paris Campbell. He's coming back. Everyone forgot about him. He's been injured, I think, nine games in two years. He's missed 23. They really think he can become a key player in this offense. T.Y. Hilton is back. Michael Pittman ascended last year. There's a lot of guys that can catch the football on this team. Um, Naheem Hines continues to just stack great seasons on top of each other. He's in the best shape of his life. He's in a contract year. He's a dynamic weapon that every time they get the ball to him, something good seems to happen. Going to be tougher for Taylor to get more carries, or excuse me, to get more catches. But again, every time you give Taylor the ball, things tend to happen in a good way. He's that good. And, and I really see him becoming one of the best backs in the league this year and next year. Yeah, it feels like it's headed that way for him. And even if he doesn't increase the targets, uh, fantasy managers should definitely be excited about the fact that he turned those 39 targets into 36 catches for nearly 300 yards and a touchdown. Incredibly efficient. It speaks to his overall talent level. You mentioned those receivers, and this is a fun one to figure out. This is something we've been talking about on our fantasy football podcast a bit this season. There's a handful of teams that have uh, these groups of three receivers that clearly all three of them need to be on a fantasy team in 100% of leagues, but it's hard to figure out exactly what the pecking order is going to be. So can you help us figure out what it will be among T.Y. Hilton, Michael Pittman, who we're all really excited about taking a step forward in year two, and Paris Campbell? Yeah, I like your hunch. I like Pittman. 
Um, mm-hmm. if you, you know, it's going to change week to week. And don't forget Zach Pascal. Pascal's going to have a couple games where he leads the team and catches. Then he's going to have a couple where he has one for 13 or something and, and throws a great block, which doesn't help you in fantasy. Um, <laughs> it's going to be a by-committee approach because they do not have an alpha dog at receiver. Now, they still love T.Y. Hilton. He's the quote-unquote number one receiver. He's earned that. But he's, uh, production's up and down. And if you look at the last – the first three or four months of the first three months of the season last year, the question was where's T.Y. Hilton? The last month, he played really well, had a couple hundred yard games, had a couple two touchdown games. My point is going to be Michael Pittman Jr. They really like him. Ballard thinks he's got superstar potential. Pittman's been working out with Carson Wentz this offseason. What do quarterbacks do? They throw to guys they know, they throw to guys they trust. Everybody's starting with a clean slate with Carson Wentz. Carson's going to like to throw to Michael Pittman Jr. because it's easy to throw to Michael Pittman Jr. He's a huge target. He's got great hands. He can win the jump balls. And what he showed last year that really stood out to me, and from a fantasy perspective, you guys will like this, is the yards after the catch. This guy took 10-yard catches to the house a couple times. He's hard to catch in the open field. He's big. He's fast. There's a lot of similarities between him and Jonathan Taylor. These guys were back-to-back picks in the 2020 draft at the top of the second round for the Colts. They both have explosive elements to their game that we could really start to see unfold this year. And so I think if I'm ranking him, it's going to be Pittman. You're going to get production from T.Y. because he's just so smart and so savvy. I think Pittman has more yards. I think Pittman has more catches, more touchdowns. Um, And I think Campbell can be a surprise. It depends on how much of a risk you're willing to take as a fantasy owner. Because this guy hasn't stayed healthy. But I can guarantee you if he does, they have big plans for him in this offense. Because nobody can do what he can do out of the slot. When you compare Philip Rivers' skill set to Carson Wentz's skill set, is there one of those guys who obviously benefits from what Wentz does different or better or what have you compared with what Rivers did? Yeah, really good question. Um, Wentz is going to throw the ball down the field. They're going to get back to the 2018 offense that we saw with Andrew Luck late that year. They're going to push the ball down the field. That's go routes for T.Y. Hill. They have the offensive line that can protect for a go route that takes a you know a double move two to three to four seconds, right? They're going to try and push the ball down the field because that's how Frank Wright wants to win the offense. They can use the play action because they have the threat of Taylor and Hines in the backfield and Marlon Mack. Um, and I see more of that quick throw stuff to Campbell and to Pittman. But I think they're going to try and get T.Y. to run some deep routes, and they're going to do that. That was not Rivers Forte. Rivers Forte was all timing and accuracy. And I think you're going to miss that this year. I really think Wentz is not going to be as accurate. The Colts fans need to accept that because Rivers was absurdly accurate last year. And they only had two plays of 50 yards or more last year. Frank Reich wants that number way up. They want to take shots. They want to be aggressive. They're going to do that. They've got the arm to do it. And in the early returns we got, they were on the field for two weeks in May. Every single player I talked to, especially on offense, was like, whoa, we've got an athlete again at quarterback. That's not a knock on Rivers. The dude was playing with a bum toe, still got them to the playoffs. But he was a statue back there. The dude couldn't move. Um, I mean, he fell down trying to make a tackle uh, against the Ravens after an interception. With Wentz, they have a guy that can move around, that can be athletic, he can extend the play, and he can take some shots. So and I don't think he's going to be as accurate in the middle of the field, but I think he's going to take some D shots to T.Y., and T.Y. can still make those plays. We've generally known what to expect from the tight end position on this team with Frank Reich as the head coach. Is there any reason to expect any larger incursions on target share that we're hoping for for the wide receivers from Jack Doyle or Mo Ali Cox or any of the tight ends? 
No, and that's a that's a position I'm a little concerned about. If I'm a Colts fan, I'm a little concerned about it because they don't have a stud at tight end anymore. They just don't. They don't have that wide tight end weapon that they want to have. Frank Reich loves in his offense. It was Eric. It was uh, Eric Ebron, but he's in Pittsburgh now, and they just haven't really replaced him. It was Trey Burton last year. He's not back. But the name I want to throw out, if you've got a late-round pick and you want to use it, is Kylan Granson, the rookie out of SMU. On the field in May, after they drafted him in the fourth round, they really, really liked him right away. Now, there's no one in front of him in the depth chart at that wide position. You've got Jack Doyle, who's great, who's steady, who's going to catch six or seven touchdowns a year and do a great job blocking. you got Moali Cox, who's going to do a lot of the same. He's a great blocker, huge hands. He's never really taken off in the passing game like we thought a lot of, like we thought he would. Um, and that's why I'm hesitant to take him, but... But Granson could be a guy that, that surprises. I think we're going to get a good look at him at camp. And if he's catching balls every day, he's going to catch balls in the season. And he's He's got one of those shifty, smooth games. I mean, picture like a young Dallas Clark. Not as good. Not as good. But, um, you know, they have that envisioned for him down the line. Maybe he starts faster than we think. All right, and last question here for you, Zach. Our partners over at BetMGM have the Colts installed with a 9.5 win total over under. The over, a major favorite at minus 150, under checking in at plus 125. We could throw the betting odds out the window. We're not really too concerned with that here. But what's your take on this team? Get back to the playoffs. It's going to take 10 wins in a 17-game format. I just think that's the case unless you play in an NFC East 2020 style of division. Can they do it? Can they get to the 10, or do you think they fall underneath the 9.5? Oh, they absolutely can. If you look at the schedule, it's, it breaks down like this. It's murderous at the start. They've got they've got the Rams. They've got the Seahawks to start. They've got five teams that won 10 games or more last year to start the first five weeks. That's tough. The back end of the schedule is great. They've got a lot of bad teams on the back end of the schedule. So they can finish strong. And think about it. They're going to get some guys back. They're going to get Eric Fisher back midseason. They're going to get this rookie out of Vanderbilt who they love, Dio Dengbo. He could be a, an added bonus in the passing game in the pass rush game. Um, so this team could really hit its stride midseason, and we could see them start to rip off some wins late. So I wouldn't panic if they go two and three to start or three and two to start. That's going to be really telling where they're at. I think Wentz will also hit his stride midseason. I don't think he's going to light the world on fire, but I also don't think he doesn't have to um, with the pieces around him. I think Jonathan Taylor, this is his year to really break out and really become one of the best backs in the league. Frank Reich always has his team ready to play. He really sets them up to have their best chance to win. They've got a really dominant defensive line. The pass rush is a concern. Uh, they got Quiddy Pay, who I think is going to come in as a rookie and start. They got DeForest Buckner, one of the best players in the game. Um, they're going to win 10 or 11 games because they're just really well built. They're really solid. Um, I don't think they have enough to hang with maybe the best in the conference, like Kansas City. But uh, they were a player two away from beating Buffalo last year on the road in the playoffs. And, um, you know, that was after making some killer mistakes. So I think they're right there. They're a pretty good team. They're above average. Not ready for the elite, but I'm thinking 10 or 11 wins. Could be looking at another fun AFC South race between the Colts and the Titans, two teams that definitely have some big aspirations this season. That's Zach Kiefer, Indianapolis Colts beat writer here at The Athletic. He's got you covered on the Colts all season long. Zach, thanks again for being with us on the Fantasy Football Podcast. Thanks for having me. That was a lot of fun. All right, we continue on here on the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast. Running through the AFC South, and we move on now to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Joining us to talk Jaguars, special guest here in the NFL world, it's Andy Staples. You know him from all the great college stuff he does here at the Athletic. Andy, thanks for joining us on the Fantasy Football Pod. 
My pleasure. Yeah, let's get right to this team. Major changes across the board, especially right at the top. Let's start with the head coach. Urban Meyer finally makes the jump to the pro level with the Jaguars. What are the expectations for Urban Meyer, the NFL head coach? It, it's weird for those of us who covered in college. We, we're trying to figure out how he's going to handle losing eight or nine games a year. I mean, think about this. The Jags went 1-15 last year. So good progress for them. A good season based on what they did last year and what they brought in. If you get to 500, if you get somewhere near 500, you are doing very well. That is an extremely acceptable amount of progress. But that also means, let's say let's say you're 9 and 8, that means you've lost 8 games. I'm not sure Urban Meyer lost 8 Big Ten games the entire time he was at Ohio State. I, I, he did not handle losses well. He's been very clear you know, in his life that losing is not his favorite thing. And I just feel like you kind of have to rewire your brain in the NFL because mm -hmm. it's a different game. You don't have to go undefeated to, to win the championship. You... You can you can lose some games, you know. You can lose five games and still win the Super Bowl. It, some some years more than that. So I, I am curious to see if his mentality adjusts because it, you know the losses wore on him when he was at Florida, when he was at Ohio State. He's going to have to look at them differently if he wants to to have a long career in the NFL because they're just going to happen. I mean, Bill Belichick loses games; it happens. Yeah, it definitely does, and that will be a little bit of an adjustment for him after all the time he spent at Florida and Ohio State, and even those last few years at Utah, not uh, not doing too much losing, going to be a little bit different for him with the Jaguars. He's got Daryl Bevel as his OC, a very known commodity in the NFL. We've seen him uh, at pilot offenses in Seattle and in Detroit. Uh, should we think he's going to try to bring the same style of offense he had with those teams to this Jacksonville team that's got a, a lot of new personnel involved? I would think so. And and one of the reasons Urban Meyer hired him is because Daryl Bevel brought Russ Wilson along as a rookie, uh, helped kind of build that offense around him in Seattle. And that's what they want to do is build an offense around Trevor Lawrence right now. Now, Urban Meyer will have his influence. His, his offensive influence will be unmistakable. He will have veto power over everything. So I would I would suspect you will see nuggets and pieces of what you saw from Urban Meyer in college. But what what he's going to ask of Daryl Bevel and of Brian Schottenheimer, the quarterback's coach, is will this work in the NFL? If we try it this way, is this something that because of the hash marks or because of the, the overall speed of defenses that will get nullified in the NFL? How do you help me adjust what I like to do to this level? And... I'm, I'm interested to see that marriage of ideas because, you know, I, I think we, we kind of know what we're, we're going to get from Bevel and we've seen Schottenheimer work. So, but you add Meyer to that equation and I, I think it becomes a lot more interesting. You know, does he, does he do a lot, you know, a lot of the single wing type stuff that he did in college? I don't, I don't know that you want to do that as much, but, but he did like to run, you know, a lot of higher tempo uh, between the tackle stuff to set up the pass. Uh, this is a team that's actually kind of built for that. They're, they're very good on the interior of their offensive line. Uh, they have a good stable of backs. That's something that actually could be pretty helpful for them if they can get that going. So, yeah, I, I am very curious to see what this offense looks like because it is going to be a marriage of those things and not probably not just Daryl Bevel bringing his offense. Yeah, this is a, suddenly a fun offensive team, which, I, I mean, the first – 
fun offensive team that I that comes to mind for me in Jacksonville. It goes back to you know Mark Brunell and Fred Taylor and, oh, yeah. and Keenan Keenan McCardell, Jimmy, Jimmy Smith. Smith. Yeah. yeah, yeah, right. Like that. That's the last time I remember there being a fun offensive team in Jacksonville. Suddenly we have that this year, and of course it all starts with that first overall pick. Trevor Lawrence, what are realistic expectations? I, we're going to expect the moon from Trevor Lawrence, of course. But as a rookie, you know, not everyone just comes out and is Justin Herbert right away. What is realistic expectations for Trevor Lawrence as a rook? Yeah, I, I'm not sure how much more explosive they get. That this is the this is the big question because their issues last year where they just could not create explosive plays at all. They they were very solid in the run game, but but in the passing game, they they really couldn't get off. Uh, but they have good young receivers. You know, I, I really like DJ Shark. I really like LaVisca Chenault. When LaVisca Chenault was at Colorado, he was one of those guys that you knew he was going to get the ball. They found a million ways to get him the ball. And even though the defense was aware that he was probably getting it, you know, he's going to get force-fed the ball, they still couldn't really stop him. So he's he's a guy I feel like you, you've added some pieces around him. Uh, Marvin Jones Jr., I think, is, is a very intriguing guy with the Jaguars because he did play in Bevel's offense in Detroit. You know, he's, he's been a very productive NFL receiver. I don't know that he's ever been a superstar NFL receiver, but he's been very productive and, and he's been working with a very good quarterback in Matthew Stafford. So, you know, if he can provide some leadership and really just an ability to, to, to stretch the field a little bit, leave, you know, leave shark some chances to get open, leave Chenault some chances to get open. And the other, the other guy, who could really make a difference for Trevor Lawrence is the other guy they drafted in the first round. And that's his, his former college mm-hmm. teammate, Travis Etienne, because so Travis Etienne led the ACC in, in rushing for his career. He averaged over seven yards a carry, but more importantly, every year he became more important to the passing game at Clemson. And last year, I believe he caught 49 balls and was the, he was the third leading receiver for the Tigers. And really, if he hadn't become a bigger part of the passing game, they would have had a pretty tough year offensively because they lost Justin Ross going into the season. Justin Ross is a guy who had he had he not been diagnosed with a with a spinal fusion, he probably would have been a first or second round draft pick in this draft. Mm-hmm. And so they, they they lose that big receiver on the outside, and they had to really kind of do a lot of different things. And one of the things they did to make up for it was throw the ball to Travis Etienne. And you saw when they had the rookies in camp. Early on, they had Etienne essentially playing receiver because remember Trevor Lawrence had the the shoulder surgery on his non throwing shoulder. They didn't want him taking snaps from under center. They didn't want him handing off because it might aggravate that that shoulder. And so, without much for Etienne to do, they said, "Well, we're just going to teach you receiver because we'd like to be able to kind of split you out, change personnel groups without changing people, confuse defenses." And I actually think there's a chance that Travis Etienne could become a big part of the passing game for Jacksonville. And if they have that option underneath, then I think that opens up a lot of the rest of the field for them. So I think it, you know, it, it will help. It would help Marvin Jones. It would help LaVisca Chanel. It would help DJ Shark. So that, that's the, that's the question. If someone, if a time traveler from January of 2022 came back to you right now and said, um, I can guarantee you that Trevor Lawrence is either going to be 2021's version of the 2020 Justin Herbert or the 2020 Joe Burrow, which one would you side with? I would think Justin Herbert. I, I think Joe Burrow got saddled with a lot worse supporting cast 
than, than Trevor Lawrence will. Uh, you know, I, I think Jacksonville's offensive line is pretty solid. They're, they're up the middle, they're very strong with Brandon Linder and Andrew Norwell and AJ Can. Uh, they franchise Cam Robinson, and I, it sounds like what they're doing now is seeing if Walker Little, the, the guy they took in the second round out of Stanford, can become the next left tackle. And then they'll have a decision to make. They can either re-sign Cam Robinson or they can let him walk. If Walker Little's that guy, then, then they're good to go. And they got Juwan Taylor under contract for another year at right tackle. And that's a that's a good offensive line. Is it a, is it a championship offensive line? Not Not sure yet, but it is a good enough one. It's not going to be like Joe Burrow, who I felt like was was really struggling at times to get time to throw the ball. Yeah, he definitely was, and we all know how his season ended, part of that owing to that tough offensive line that he had in front of him. Uh, you mentioned Travis Etienne, obviously a huge draft selection for this team, going to be a big part of the offense right out of the gate. But James Robinson was a revelation for this team mm-hmm. a year ago. 1,070 yards and seven touchdowns on the ground on 240 carries. He also caught 49 passes for 344 yards and three touchdowns. Did everything. The lone bright spot, really, for this team a season ago. We know he's not going away. This is going to be Robinson and ETN in the backfield. As you said, ETN going to get some probably traditional receiver play, but how do you see them splitting the work coming out of the backfield? I, I do think Robinson's going to be the guy that they, they kind of is the slam it up between the tackles. But they also have Carlos Hyde for that. You know, <laughs> Carlos Hyde, who played for Urban Meyer in college. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I will be curious to see how they divide the carries. The thing about Etienne is, that, that intrigues Meyer is he could be a home run threat. And Robinson's not. You know, Etienne, you don't take a guy in the first round as a running back unless there's, a, you know, he has a couple different traits breakaway speed, the ability to catch the ball out of the backfield. The breakaway speed piece of it for ETN, I think, is something that really intrigued this coaching staff because they've not been able to create those plays in Jacksonville for a while. And so ETN, if you look at Clemson, and and here's the thing about Clemson that is different than most of the other elite programs in college football, Clemson has not had a ton of offensive linemen Drafted. It's not like Alabama or Ohio State where their offensive linemen are all going into the NFL. They're all starting in the NFL. Like a few years ago, Clemson had Mitch Hyatt, who was a four-year starter who played on two national title teams, and he didn't even get drafted at, at left tackle. So that's that's the thing. Etienne has not been running behind the same kind of line that, say, Najee Harris was running behind in Alabama. And Etienne was still gaining seven yards of carry. And they were running him between the tackles quite frequently. So it could be that he winds up getting more of the carries. But I don't think I don't think they're taking him in the first round and saying, we're, we're going to load him up. You know, this is the, the days of 25, 30 carries for a backer, or, or unless you're Derrick Henry, they're over. So they want to split that up. I mean, you want this situation where you have no doubt that the – you, you can hand it to James Robinson on, on first down and you can bring ETN in for second and third down and you feel like there's no drop off. Wide receiver group, as we uh, talked about already a little bit, it's it's diverse, it's fun. I wonder if, though, they get in one another's way in too big a way in the fantasy world because all three of those guys, DJ Chark, uh, Marvin Jones, uh, LaVisca Chenault, they're all going to have some pretty meaty roles to play in this offense. If you were just predicting straight up, forget about just the production that they get, forget about exactly what they do for the offense, just targets, one, two, and three, what order would you put those guys in? I would put I would put Jones number one uh, in, in targets, but I'm I'm with you. I don't like there's not one who plays a role that is going to be outsized 
in in this. There's not there's not a clear. This is the alpha. This is the guy we're going to go to all the time. Um, and and then you got role player type guys. You know, that, like Colin Johnson, who they took out of Texas, is a big long guy that, that you can throw to along the sideline. You can throw to in the red zone, that sort of thing. Uh, it, it is hard to kind of figure out what the roles are. And then and then you got the tight end situation, which you know it, everybody wants to talk about one guy who probably won't even make the team, but. This is a position where they went into the the offseason hoping to upgrade that group as a pass catching group and didn't really do it. So that puts more onus. Now, I will say that that does put more onus on these receivers to catch pass. That probably increases the number of targets for Jones, for Shark, for Chenault, for Philip Dorsett, you know, as a a kind of field stretcher, take the top off guy that they signed in free agency. But I, I, I mean, I don't know who emerges because I think a lot of it has to do with what's your chemistry with Trevor Lawrence like? Yeah. How much does he like to throw to you? It's going to be one of the things that we really have to keep an eye on as much as we can uh, in the fantasy world during training camp for this team. Who's connecting with him? If they get any sort of uh, exhibition game time together, who really looks like they have something going with Lawrence? Might be a a way to read into how this is going to go, at least early on in the season. Last one here for you, Andy. Our partners over at BetMGM have put a win total over under on the Jags of six and a half with uh, the over and the under both being set at minus 110. Where are you going on this over or under for this? team in year one of the Lawrence and Urban administration? That is a tough one. Okay. My thing is if Carson Wentz is the player the Colts think they're getting, Mm -hmm. the Jags are under. If Carson Wentz is the player the Eagles were getting rid of last year, I think the Jags are over that. I I don't want to boil it down to that one matchup, but I I do feel like whether the Colts are really good or, 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 or average has a lot to do with where the Jaguars can go because we all know what's happened to the Texans. We don't have to, we don't have to talk about that anymore. We know, we know where they're at, but the Titans are good and probably got better by adding Julio Jones. So, you know, they're probably at the top of the division and then you just, it's what happens with the Colts because if Wentz is really good, then the Colts and the Titans are duking it out at the top of the division and, and possibly the top of the conference and there's really no room for for anybody to move up this year. But if Wentz is not what they thought they were getting, if, if he's what we saw in Philadelphia toward the end of last year, I think there's a chance that, that Jacksonville could be significantly better and could get close to 500 this year. Yeah, we know it's going to be a much better team, I think, in general, and a much better offense, and warms my heart for someone who started playing fantasy football right around the time of those Brunel, Fred Taylor, McArdle, and Smith offenses to see this team be a relevant offense in our fantasy world. Once again, it's Andy Staples joining us on the Fantasy Football Podcast. Andy, thanks again for being here. My pleasure. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, we continue on here on our AFC South edition of our Beat Writer Roundtables on the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast with the Houston Texans. And to talk Texans, we bring on our Texans Beat Writer, Aaron Reese. Aaron, how you doing today? I'm good. Thanks for having me. 
Uh, let's get right to it here with this team at the quarterback position. Obviously, we know everything that is going on related to Deshaun Watson. So let's take a look at the guy who maybe likely is going to be the starting quarterback for the team this season, Terod Taylor. What are the changes to the offense if it is Terod as the starter? Uh, you know, I mean, I think we can probably just expect it will be maybe not as explosive of an offense. Uh, you know, Terod Taylor has generally not done a great job of uh, throwing over the middle of the field in his career. Uh, it's he has excelled mostly when you know they have you have to incorporate his uh, him as a runner into the offense. Uh, Deshaun Watson obviously can run himself, but I, there weren't a ton of designed runs for him, uh, which you could view as a positive or a negative in the in Texans offense. I think generally if the guy can throw that well, you don't need to use him on the ground. But I, I think there probably will be more um, quarterback designed quarterback runs and then just probably generally a less of explosive passing game, some of that being who Tyrod is. But also some of it being there's just less talent at receiver now than there was a year ago. I mean, this team lost Will Fuller and it didn't really replace him. Yeah, this team just a couple of years ago was looking at a DeAndre Hopkins, Will Fuller pairing, and now both of those guys gone. And as you said, not really a lot to replace it. So we can actually go there next. Brandon Cooks, you know, wherever he's been, he has been a very productive receiver. Also a little bit of a charmed life when you look at the quarterbacks he's played with in his NFL career, basically the anti-Allen Robinson. Every single quarterback he's played with probably headed to the Hall of Fame or getting near to it. Uh, so he, that has definitely been a wind at his back. But now maybe volume can be a wind at his back. What are the expectations, or at least what are your expectations a couple of weeks out from camp of what his target share might look like this year? Yeah, you know what I mean? He he had one of his, despite how bad the Texans were overall, I mean, he played really well right away. I mean, he had a career high yards per route run. Uh, you know, he was even more effective when Will Fuller was not on the field. Uh, not to say he was a better player, but that his production just didn't dip when he didn't have that kind of other presence there, uh, which I think should bode well for this year, right? If there, The fact that he could, you know, be as productive when he didn't have another really good talent next to him uh, is going to matter a lot for the current construction of this roster. I think he definitely obviously will lead the team in targets. I could see him have a little bit of a higher target share. I mean, I, the thing is, I don't know if it's, I don't know if by pure volume it could be that much better because the Texans as is last season were pretty pass happy as an offense. I mean, they were one of the pass heaviest offenses in the league in terms of early down pass frequency. They trailed a lot in games. They probably will trail um, a little more than this year than last. But I mean, the last year's team only won four games, so it can't be much worse in that regard. So I imagine he probably would be pretty close to what he was at last year in terms of just kind of totals um, because the circumstances are going to be pretty similar, but the quarterback's not going to be as good. Another big change in Houston, of course, this year right at the top with David Culley in his first year as the head coach. Again, we're talking the expectations game in Houston with all these changes. What should we expect a David Culley offense to look like? Well, you know, they, they bring back the same offensive coordinator and Tim Kelly who called the plays, and he will continue mm -hmm. to call the plays. So I think in that to that degree, we'll probably, we'll probably be somewhat the same, which was, uh, um, you know, like – and the big question for me is mostly just going to be how can they incorporate Tyrod's running ability into the into the offense because I think that's something that will be needed um, in terms of just kind of putting him in a position to be successful uh, and also to kind of boost a running game that really was I mean it was ranked last in DV, rushing DVOA last season they bring back David Johnson they've made changes along the interior of the offensive line but not necessarily any um, kind of surefire stud I mean you got Justin Bright at center who missed all of last season uh, Justin McCray who signed on a, a cheap one year deal for agency 
consistency. And then Max Sharping, a 2019 second round pick who was rotating in and out of the lineup might be the other guard. So, I mean, it's not like uh, they have real studs on the interior of the offensive line. They have a new offensive line coach, um, but so maybe that'll help. But I think kind of how much you can incorporate Tyrod into the running game, uh, take less of a load off of David Johnson, who clearly was just not great in a high volume role last season. Uh, that'll be kind of key. I, I got to admit, man, I am absolutely fascinated by this running back situation. You've got David Johnson, you got Philip Lindsay, who I personally really like a lot. Mark Ingram is here. Rex Burkhead's on the roster, at least for the time being. I think it's safe to say, from an outsider's point of view, that we're really looking at exactly what I've got on the screen here some sort of David Johnson, Philip Lindsay pairing as the top two backs for this team. Is it a 1-1-A situation? Is David Johnson comfortably ahead, or is there a route for Philip Lindsay to overtake him and be the lead back, whatever lead back might look like in the Houston offense? Man, you know, I mean, it's it's really hard to say because, you know, there's just so much that's gone kind of been in flux with this team and, and OTAs, you don't necessarily see a ton. We only saw the offense practice in front of media twice and you know those are kind of more just uh instructional sessions than than anything else uh, i can't even remember now if david johnson even participated in, in both of them so you know it's, it's hard it's hard to say kind of who's ahead or not i think if you look at the um the fact that they they chose to bring david johnson back and they did restructure his contract to lower his cap it but they did double the amount of guaranteed money that he gets in the final year of this deal he clearly has the most job security of any of these guys um so if you're that's one way to kind of view it as and to determine how much of a role they see him having i still think he probably is the main um running back but somebody to keep in mind is you know before he went down in week four with an injury i think i think it was a concussion at that time i can't remember now but um before he went down with that injury he was tied with ezekiel elliott for the highest um offensive snap like percentage of any all running backs so i mean this is a guy who was playing a huge huge role and they had to and it's not like they had no one behind him i mean they had duke johnson behind him who the texans had traded a third round pick for so they had other people they'd invested in so i I don't know if you're going to see it to that same degree i think clearly they still like him um so he, he probably will be the main person to me it really is going to come down to is like philip Lindsay or mark ingram going to be that second back I, th- I say that because rex burkhead at least has value on special teams uh he comes from mm-hmm. new england where the new gm nick Casero came from uh the other two guys don't really have much special teams uh experience they barely played him especially ingram he hasn't played him in a long time ingram came from baltimore where david cully was um so I think you can see kind of why they'd want to have him on the team, but I, I like Lindsay the most of the group. Cause I think he has the, you know, this, this season should really all be about hitting on a few guys with some upside and mm-hmm. uh, Ingram and Burkett are both on the wrong side of 30. David Johnson's been bad for a few years. Phil Lindsay's had one bad year, but you know, he rushed for a thousand yards in his first two seasons in the NFL. Yeah, really like that Philip Lindsay, one of my favorite guys to circle back around to because he is very affordable in fantasy drafts right now. Let's take a quick look at the rest of the passing attack beyond Brandon Cooks, Nico Collins, or, or uh, Chris Conley, Kiki Kuti in that wide receiver three-ish role, at least in terms of maybe the targets. Jordan Aiken's back as the team's primary tight end. Is there anything to get excited about here beyond Brandon Cooks? Uh, I mean, I guess you know they trade them in an expensive trade up for Nico Collins. So, like as the as the beat writer, I'm interested in just like can he kind of seize an opportunity that's clearly here for him where he doesn't face the stiffest competition and can get a lot of looks early. Uh, Kiki Kuti is, I feel like, someone who fantasy players talk about all the time, or did at least, because <laughs> he was really good as a rookie, and then you get these little teases of, of action from him every couple for two week spurts every season. Um, 
So I don't know. I mean, I guess kind of what he can do in his final year of his rookie contract is also somewhat interesting to me. But I, you know, the running back situation to me indicates that this team is kind of willing to prioritize sort of veterans who they think will set a good example, establish a culture in year one, all that sort of stuff at the expense of maybe taking more flyers on guys with some upside. About 10 days, two weeks or so out from the start of training camp. When you get there, what's the one thing you're most interested in watching? I want to. I mean, I want to see how well Davis Mills, the quarterback they drafted in the third round, how well he plays. I mean, you know, we saw him in two OTAs, but like I said, those are really more kind of instructional than anything. The the reps are much more competitive during training camp. So, how well he holds up is interesting because you know he is going to probably play at some point this season. I think they're going to need to they're going to need to get him in a few games to kind of determine if they have something here and if not, do they need to use what will presumably be a very high first round pick and maybe other picks from the Deshaun Watson trade if there is one uh, to go up and make sure they can get another quarterback in the future. So that guy's going to have to play at some point. I like to see how he plays in camp until then. Uh, and when they turn to him will be interesting and probably be somewhat informed by that camp performance because obviously that means Tyra Taylor is not going to be the starter for the whole season. Yeah, expectations low in Houston. That is reflected all over the place, including in the win total over at BetMGM. Four is the number that is being placed on it with the uh, over being a slight underdog to the under. So (laughs) what do you got here, Aaron? This team, can they get to five or uh, is it going to be as ugly as it seems like it's going to be? So I... I think I like I obviously Vegas is great at this because I wrote something recently where I was like I would push if I because <laughs> four seems right three and fourteen just seems really bad but um, uh-huh. but I think like it seems much worse than four and or, or sorry three and fourteen seems much worse than four and thirteen um, but yeah. I, if I have to pick one I would pick under because I, I just think they beat the Jaguars once uh, maybe they beat like the Jets and then you kind of sneak one out but the, the end of their schedule is really tough. Um, they play the Seahawks and the Chargers. Uh, I forget who else, but they're really tough end of the schedule when they're going to probably be playing a rookie quarterback. And just in general, I think this team is going to be like probably maybe a little more competitive than people want to give them credit for. Cause I think the one thing they have is kind of just like competency everywhere with all the free agents they sign, but they don't have really elite talent anywhere. that can go out, be the difference maker between winning and losing. And I think the margin for error is going to be really thin. So I, I'm going to go with three under and go with three wins. It's an ugly year of change going on for this Houston Texans team, but still some things that we can get excited about in the fantasy football world. Aaron Reese covers the Houston Texans for us here at The Athletic. Aaron, thanks again for being with us on the Fantasy Football Pod. Yeah, thank you. I have to get excited about it. (laughs) Good luck, man. That's a wrap for the AFC South edition of the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast Beat Writer Roundtable. Our thanks to everyone who participated. Our thanks, of course, to you for listening as well. We've got just one episode left in this Beat Writer Roundtable. That is the NFC West. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon.